great to talk to you today. I'm uh, speaking with Dan Goldhaber of multiple places, but the American Institutes for Research and the University of Washington sounds like where you predominantly do your work these days. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Um, you cannot look at the news these days. It's August, school's going back in. You cannot look at the news without reading these dire predictions about how there's no teachers in any classrooms and how parents are like, I sure hope my kid has a teacher this year and there's no bus drivers, there's no teachers, there's no substitutes, you know, there's something unique about the 2022 uh, school year, start of school that all the teachers have left. And sure enough, I've seen the teacher exit videos on TikTok. And I know I hear a lot about teachers leaving, but is it in reality a fact that there is a, a mass attrition of teachers this year? So no, in terms of attrition, I, I don't think it's it's right to sort of view the situation as a mass exodus of teachers. It looks like from the evidence that has come out thus far that there is an uptick in attrition. Um, and that makes sense given that the uh, unemployment rate is you know, hovering around 3.5%. But um, the attrition rate is, is really not outside of what we have seen with very low unemployment rate years in the past over the last couple of decades. Yeah, so the National Center for Education Statistics, what I recall is that for a long time, they did a schools and staffing survey. I think it has been replaced by a different teacher survey, but- it's, um, Yeah, it's no, it's actually, it's, 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 it's very similar, but it's called the National Teacher and Principal Survey now. Okay, well, they always did look at stairs, movers, and levers, right? Yep. And stairs, movers, and lever, levers has been pretty stable. And it's not, it was never as high as what I- thought it would be based on what I read, you know, in the media. What do you think? I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's, it's easy to write stories saying that there is a mass exodus where the stories are based on um, anecdotes um, that are not, not wrong. I mean, they're, they're stories that are based on interviews of individual people who have left the profession or, you know, in, in the case of looking at the front end of the teacher pipeline and the people who are being prepared, stories where there's an interview um, looking at uh, the numbers from individual teacher preparation program. Yeah. But when you kind of look at scale, at the aggregate numbers, I think that things look look like what you would expect again that you know attrition has 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 ticked up it's more challenging in today's environment to um staff classrooms but the frustration that i have with the stories is that we tend to talk about the teacher labor market in very generic terms so we say teacher shortage um, but really the conditions are quite different depending on sure. the, the kind of teaching skills that you're looking for. You know, if you're looking at spe for special ed teachers or STEM teachers versus elementary ed teachers, if we're talking about the geography, you know, the situation is different across different states because yep. teaching is, you know, uh, uh, the, the employment um, requirements differ from one state to the next. And really, if you're looking across different schools, because it looks like teachers have preferences to teach students that um, are kind of 
ready to learn and on grade level. Yeah. And so more schools serving more disadvantaged students tend to be teaching students that are less likely to be on grade level. And they tend to be in areas that are probably um, different in terms of the, the neighborhood amenities. Um, and so those are schools that tend to have greater challenge in, in staffing classrooms. Sure. So those are three dimensions that I think we need to think through. Yeah, and you know, nationally, the number of teachers per student, if that's the right way to look at it, has only gone up. In other words, the number of students per teacher has only gone down. Teacher-student ratios have really only gone down over time, and it's down in below 15. Certainly, the average teacher has somewhere between 10 and 15 students, it looks to be. And I know in Missouri, we used to have about... So in Missouri, we used to have about 900,000 students, and I'm saying pretty consistently until about 2010, and then it's been declining. And it's projected to decline. Now we're down to like 850. And um, actually, it's been higher than 900 at one point. And now we're down to about 850, and it's projected to decline to about 750 uh, in the next five or six years. So we're on this decline. And I don't know that there's any real... Uh, reason behind that other than birth rates and we don't have people moving into the state as much as we have people moving out of the state so so we have this declining k-12 population at the same time the number of teachers has gone from has gone up about fifteen thousand in the last time frame is that like if there's like if you i do have a line chart of this but it's like the, just a steady increase in number of teachers so we used to have about 120,000 teachers now we have more like 150,000 teachers give or take and so even as the number of students go down you think if you're running a company like the gap or you know like as your market is getting smaller or your customer base is getting smaller you would think that your employees would become equally reduced and it's never been it's not the case it's not the case nationally and it's not the case in each state and and that's not even this is teachers not even talking about staff which we know there's been a staffing surge so as we add more and more people into the system even as parents are leaving it um it's just to, to me now to say oh there's not enough teachers it is uh is it's just got to be untrue i just don't see how that's possible yeah, so so Susan, um, I don't know the situation in in Missouri specifically, sure. but what you have said is a reflection for sure of of the national picture yeah. that the the um, number of students has increased over. I'm sorry, the number of teachers has steadily increased over the last um, few years generally, and um, the number of students has been declining. And in fact, we have more teachers employed nationally today than we did before the the pandemic when the number of students right. I think because of birth rates but also because people are availing themselves to different options re probably related to the pandemic um the number of students has declined so yeah. so your your picture of missouri does look like the national picture and i think that you raise a, a really important issue which is another nuance when we talk about teacher shortages and that is that it's it's not like the way that an economist would talk about a shortage in another you know uh, a sector of the economy where you literally cannot hire um, enough people to you know make a product because they are unavailable or um, you know you can't find enough parts to build a certain piece of equipment. But in the case of of the the I'd like to call it the teacher staffing challenge. 
um, that the situation is one where how challenging um, it is to, to hire people um, and to staff classrooms is partially a reflection of policy. Yeah. So we're, we make policies and we make decisions about what should class size look like. And we make um, decisions about what should teacher salaries um, be. Um, and, and so, you know, those are, those are policy choices that are going to influence how challenging it is to hire people. And so I think that that's, that's an important nuance too, that often is not reflected in some of the, you know, the mass media stories that I see about, you know, teacher shortages. Sure. I'm like, I'm reminded of California passing some teacher student ratio limit. It was quite low. And then they didn't have enough teachers, right? Because if you now have to have your kindergarten classrooms at 12 or 15, then all of a sudden you're not going to have enough teachers. And that was a, you know, they spent enormous sums of money and then eventually, eventually tossed the policy. But I'll tell you, um, one thing that's going on that in Missouri is similar talk of this crisis of not having enough teachers and recruitment and retention being the two biggest issues in the state, which I would respectfully disagree. I think the biggest issue in our state is our declining test scores, but the um, Department of Education is making this teacher retention recruitment thing front and center, and they put together a blue ribbon commission to study it. And they started by surveying teachers and principals and um, they, one of the questions, of course, the things that the teachers say they need is more money and childcare stipends and housing stipends and loan forgiveness and a lot of financial incentives to stay. But they also asked, um, what, how likely is the following to make you want to leave your job? And the, the first, the highest one for teachers by far was um, using data to inform their salary. 61% of teachers said that would make them leave their job. And then the second one was differentiated pay and 49% said that would make them quit. And to your point, if we can't pay high school math teachers more than second grade teachers, we're never going to have an even supply of labor if the high school math teacher is on the same step and ladder schedule as the second grade teacher, right? I mean, you're a you're a labor economist. You understand yeah. it's <laughs> I mean, like how will we fill differentiated slots if we can never have differentiated pay? And if half the teachers say if we have it, they'll quit. So, so there, there's a lot to unpack. The the first thing is that s- labor economists tend to rely more on information that comes from what people actually do yeah. than what they report they're going to do. So uh, I have seen lots of survey-based estimates that suggest that, you know, upwards of half of the teachers in the country are considering leaving their job. But again, annually, the attrition rate looks like it's in, you know, the 10 to 12 um, percent range. Um, So I I do think it's important to kind of distinguish what people say and, and what they actually do, because, you know, if you if you ask anybody, do you, do you ever think about leaving your job? The answer is probably yes. Sure. But, you know, to your your point about, um, you know, differentiating pay, I think that there's lots of different ways that pay, that pay can be differentiated um, when you take differentiation you know, off of the table, I think you're you're moving a, a managerial tool. And so you're kind of preaching to the choir when you're talking to a labor economist and saying, hey, we should we should consider the possibility that we pay someone who has STEM training more 
or we pay someone who is teaching in a difficult environment more. Um, I, I think that's right, that when you, when you see these differences in attrition rates or differences in staffing challenge across different kinds of classrooms, then it is natural to respond to those differences um, with different pay because that sends signals to the labor market. Sure. And, and I guess like you're right, demonstrated preference in so far as like all these teachers are not going to quit. They're not going to all walk away from their job as much as they are talking about it now. But when the survey uh, is posted up for the legislators to read and they are considering what, like, number one, they've been, they are probably of the belief that teacher retention recruitment is the number one problem in Missouri right now or nationally based on what you read in the news. And when they think about solutions and teachers have clearly said these are off the table, <laughs> the only solutions we'll accept are more money in different forms, then I just think it doesn't lead to the best policies for the, for the, um, like the profession writ large. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I 100% I, I agree with that. I think that the problem is that if you have a, you know, a pot of money that you're going to allocate, yeah. that um, if you spread it out, you know, really evenly across all teachers, and we're talking about a, a large segment of employees, then the increases that individual teachers get are pretty small. And so, you know, you're, you're really um, implementing a solution to the teacher staffing challenge that's a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. And so the, you know, I, 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 and it's an inch deep and also directed to some teachers that are probably quite unlikely to leave um, teaching. Yeah. So, you know, we know that a teacher, teacher attrition is relatively high for special educators, for instance. We know that teacher attrition is relatively high in a teacher's first you know, three to five years of, of teaching. But if you were to look at an elementary education teacher who's been teaching for you know, 15, 20 years and is in her you know, early 50s and close to retirement or yeah. relatively close to retirement, the probability that that person leaves the teaching profession is really quite low. And that's because pensions at that point in Absolutely. a teacher's career have a kind of a powerful pull, like they are very, very influential. Whereas they are not very influential, if you're looking at someone who's first entering the profession, you're new, you're not thinking about your pension, you may not understand it. Um, so the question is, do you allocate money for that person who is very likely to stay, whether the money is allocated toward increased salary or not, mm -hmm. or do you allocate relatively more in the areas where there's much more acute need? Um, again, hard to staff schools, hard to staff subject areas. Yeah, and then I, my, what I hear on that point from people who are resistant to it is that's going to create competition in the teachers' lounge, and teachers will all be at it, at each other's throats, which I don't believe. I feel like we all work in this environment. This idea that teachers cannot cannot handle the thought of having their salary based on an evaluation of their performance. Mine has been, my salary has been based on an evaluation of my performance every year of my career. It's just something that I think most people are very used to, like once a year, someone's going to sit down and review how you're doing. And then they're going to let you know where, where your uh, salary is going based on that. 
And the fact that we, that is considered so taboo within the teaching profession really concerns me. Now, the things that concern me are number one, this has been elevated to crisis level and I'm not sure it's a crisis. Number two, the solutions that are gonna come forward to address this perceived crisis are going to be costly and not have an impact on um, student outcomes. What do you think? So um, I, th I think that if you look at media stories, there is a story about the, the, you know, the teacher shortage crisis every five or so years. Mm. And those stories look remarkably similar um, going all the way back to, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm old now. So I remember back in the late, you know, the late nineties when it was, um, you know, that we're losing everybody to dot-com, you know, dot-com companies. Um, yeah. So I, I think again, the, the the frustration is not that there's not a problem because there are these acute issues that come up and they come up around specific skills, teaching in different schools, and to the point you raise, um, teacher quality. Um, the problem is that we we sort of always do the same thing, which is generally, generally, um, across the board salary increases. And I, I don't think that that's targeting the real need. Mm -hmm. So I'd say two, two additional things. There are places where there's more differentiation. Um, so I think we need to talk about two kinds of differentiation. We need to talk about differentiation based on the labor market issues, just sort of the generic labor market issues across different um, subjects and, and, and school needs. Um, and so I, I'm thinking of the fact that uh, in Hawaii, I can't remember exactly how much it is, but I believe special education teachers are earning substantially more, something like $10,000 more for, um, per year. In Alabama, um, it's STEM teachers that are earning quite a bit more. Um, and so there are places where we see that kind of differentiation, which I think is, is the real low hanging fruit is just sure. addressing the labor market issues. And then there's the second issue that you raise around um, performance issue, performance pay. And I think that is a, a thornier issue because you have to connect performance pay to some kind of um, evaluation and the, the way that, that teachers are evaluated generally suggests that all teachers are the same, even though we can see empirically that they are not, that their impact on students are, are quite different. Um, and so I think that's a, a, a more complicated issue and generally that, that's a, a thornier politic, political issue too, but there are, are places where there is performance pay that has has worked. So um, DC public schools, for instance, is a place that has a pretty innovative um, teacher evaluation and pay system. And part of the pay is based on the challenge of, of staffing different kinds of teachers in different kinds of schools. And part of the, the um, pay is based on performance where it's not kind of a, a one-off where you get a, a bonus at the end of um, the year if your students make big test score gains. I mean, I think that that's, that is a, a kind of system that has not typically worked well, mm -hmm. but it's a more holistic system um, that is partially based on teachers' impacts on, on students um, and partially based on a comprehensive evaluation that you know is classroom observation, principal assessment, et cetera. Um, so it's, it's kind of a 360 type of, a, of evaluation 
Um, and it seems from the, the empirical evidence that it's a system that is working quite well in, in DC public schools. The, the students in DC have made pretty outsized gains over the, uh, the course of more than a decade. Well, uh, I'm sure that you, this is the kind of stuff that you guys study at the Calder Institute, but I do believe it's true that the teacher quality is the number one uh, factor that could influence uh, student outcomes. And people say that friendly, friendly amendment to that statement. Um, I think it's I think it's one of the the clear, very clear school-based factors. There's there's lots of evidence that what happens in you know the home or community yep. also matters quite a bit. But amongst right. The, right amongst the things over which schools have some control, teacher quality is kind of the key. That's right. And what we've done is we've tweaked like teacher-student ratios. I think we've hired more. And I think part of that is because, and, and teacher pay. And I think that uh, trying to get at that thing, because people say, well, you know, when you see it, you know what I mean? Well, how do you know teacher quality? Well, ask a parent. And uh, there are very few systems, as you said, that can really get at what is a high, I mean, Tennessee is the only place I know. I mean, Tennessee's got this statistical analysis of teachers that's been in place a very long time. Yep. And um that seems to be a decent measure for researchers like you to use to uh, understand the impact on student outcomes. And it does seem to hold uh, to have a bigger impact than anything else at the school level. Would you agree with that? Any it's 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 a little hard to. Um you know, to sort of judge what is the biggest. So the, the way that we um, can sort of think about this issue is what's the impact of a change in um, going from like, say a teacher at the 50th, who's in the 50th percentile, like sort of in the middle of the, of the distribution of, of um, performance to a teacher that, you know, is at the 80th percentile. So, you know, someone who's a, a good high performer, um, that kind of a, a differential is a much larger than the differential that we see when looking at the average novice teacher and the average third or fifth year teacher. Mm -hmm. So the, the differences that we see between teachers of the same experience level are much bigger than the differences that we see between teachers of differing experience levels. So that's one way to think about it. Oh, and yeah. then another way to think about it is um, what's the what's the sort of trade-off between changes in teacher effectiveness and um, changes in class size. So there's a study that I'm thinking of that looks at this issue and says, you know, again, going from like a 50th percentile teacher to roughly an 80th percentile teacher is equivalent to reducing class sizes by, you know, 10 to 12 students. So a very, wow. very large reduction in class size. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot here for a minute. <laughs> what would you do to, you know, air quotes, fix the structure of the teaching profession? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I would do if um, politics were not a consideration. Okay, just as a labor economist. Yeah, yeah. We won't talk about politics in an okay. ideal world. So how as, a, as a labor economist, the first thing I would do um, is I would probably allocate some of the money that goes to retirement um, <laughs> compensation, deferred, like totally deferred tell, tell retirement compensation um, to increase teacher salaries at the front end. Yeah. So I would I would I probably want teacher salaries at the beginning of a teacher's career to be higher 
just generally, because I think that that is um, one of the things that young people look at when they're trying to choose a profession and that would help to, to draw in, you know, really people who would turn out to be terrific teachers. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing that I would do is um, I would differentiate salaries or compensation so that um, places where we saw higher teacher attrition, like special ed, um, got earned relatively more. Um, so you're sort of, you're using compensation as a tool to address what you can see in the, you know, the teacher labor market. I, I, I think another area where you would probably increase salaries um, relative to other, other teachers is for STEM. Um, and it's for uh, a slightly different reason because STEM teachers don't have higher attrition, but it's harder to get people to prepare in STEM areas. Um, so you want to probably offer STEM teachers more um, because the staffing challenge is there. And one of the reason the staffing challenge is there is relatively few people are preparing to be STEM teachers as compared to elementary ed teachers. Right. And then the, again, the thorniest issue is pay for performance. Um, and I, I think that structured in the right way, um, pay for performance can work. Um, so I probably would have some element of, of um, performance factor into a teacher salary, not, not one-off bonuses, but um, sort of a different career path. So for instance, some of the work that I've done is on teacher preparation and um, the value of having someone um, who is a highly effective teacher serve as a mentor. Um, and so maybe you could pay uh, a group of teachers who are eligible, a relatively small group of teachers who are eligible to serve as mentors more to try and encourage really effective teachers to want to be mentor teachers because right now mentor teachers don't earn very much for what looks to be a very important role that they play in helping to develop um, teacher candidates. Yeah, I really like your first point. I talk about this a lot because just anecdotally, um, my kids are all around 30, let's say I have three of them, and they're friends who went into teaching who probably were the strongest teachers of all left. And uh, that seems to just be like a recurring theme because they they don't get enough early in their career. And in Missouri, the uh, pension contribution that comes out of a teacher's starting salary, uh, out of every teacher's salary, but a starting teacher is 14 and half percent. And that is incredible to me. If you already are starting at a relatively low salary of say $35,000 and they take, you know, almost 5,000 of that off the top to go into this pension benefit that you're going to get in all oh, 30 years, 25 years. Uh, I think that that is just a real negative to the profession so that if they could just put 5% into a, uh, you know, 403B or something like that versus that, that would, let them keep that extra 10% and raise their salaries. And I think um, that to me would make a lot of sense in terms of keeping the, the people who could be real strong teachers long-term, except that they leave because they don't like that salary structure. 
And and again, part of it is that they may not understand it at the beginning, right? So like, I think a lot of teachers have misconceptions about how much money is going into um, pensions that they will receive, you know, 30 years down, down the line. That's right. There's, and there's, there's been some, you know, policy experimentation with different kinds of pension systems. So Washington state, for instance, has uh, both a regular traditional defined benefit system where the money is all, you know, um, you know, it gets, it gets put into uh, the, the state system and how much you earn when you retire is defined based on a formula that is connected to your years of service and an average high year salary. Right. And then there's a hybrid system where the defined benefit part of the system is half as large as the traditional one, but teachers also get um, a, you know, 403B, you know, a, def- a yep. defined contribution type system. And, and, and maybe, I don't think we have much evidence about this, but maybe that kind of uh, the, the 403B part of it, the defined contribution is more transparent to teachers right at the outset yeah. because they can see the money going into an individual account where they have a little bit more control over, over how it's allocated. Um, so that you really want people to recognize their total compensation, because if they don't recognize their total compensation, then it's pro- the, the, that part of the compensation that goes unrecognized is probably not doing much to actually induce people to go into the profession or stay in the profession. That's right. I mean, like for the record, I am absolutely not anti-teacher. I think it's got to be a very difficult job to teach young children. I've only ever taught at the college level. Uh, and I, I, I empathize with the the difficulties of that job, but I want to make sure that we are targeting the right problem and we're targeting it with solutions that are in the best interests of everyone in the whole system. And I just am a little dismayed by the disinformation that I, it's good to know that it comes out, that it happens every five or six years. I did not know that, but it's like the disinformation out there and what people will do if they take it and run with it, uh, that really troubles me because I just think in the end, we're not going to be any better off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I think we need more nuance to the conversation yep. in order to have a more nuanced policy response. I also think we're dumping a lot on teachers these days too. And so we're, you know, sure. I think, uh, you know, I've read about the teaching profession in other countries and they are limited to being really good teachers of the subjects that they teach. And they are not everything to every kid and, uh, you know, responsible for their uh, diet and their mental health. And like we've, we've added so much into that profession that I'm sure it's exhausting. But um, yeah, I do think that one thing that we could do for, you know, the profession in general is to try to get the very best content knowledge teachers we have available and pay them what they are worth and not expect them to also look through everyone's lunchbox and do all that kind of stuff too. But I I, I think it's today, especially, it's probably very challenging to be a teacher because there's there's a lot of politics in schools and teachers have to navigate that. Yeah. Well, it's great to talk to you, Dan. Thank you so much for shedding light on this and uh, actual numbers. You know, that's what I generally prefer. So uh, I really appreciate it. It's, It's a good conversation and I'm sure that there'll be more of it to have. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been great talking with you, Sue. Thanks, Dan. 